0: Today's podcast, you'll hear an interview I did with Kyle Thompson. Kyle used to play on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour predominantly, but also was on the PJ Tour in three separate seasons. Uh, He had five wins on the Corn Ferry Tour and was also a Hall of Famer at South Carolina College. Um, He's had an incredible career. He had plenty of second place finishes alongside his wins, but it was very unlucky not to get more wins. And also unlucky for a series of unfortunate events on the PGA Tour as well. Um, he has an outstanding career and has now stepped away from the game. But it was really good to go down memory lane with him, and I think you'll enjoy hearing his story. I'll be too nervous, I'll probably lost the words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost of Words podcast. I'm joined today by Kyle Thompson. Kyle Thompson has played on the the Nationwide and Web.com Tour, as, as we know it, and the or well, lately the Corn Ferry tour, um, and also played on the PJ tour as well. So, welcome, Kyle.
1: Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: No, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, as as we're speaking to you now, you're actually uh, stepped away from the game um, full time. So you're now working uh, at Gallagher, I believe. And uh, how's yep. that been for you making that transition?
1: It, it, it's been really, really great. I've got a young family, ages, you know, nine and eleven, and I, it was just time for me to get off the road. I'm getting a little bit up there in age, and, and these days, 41 is old. But when I first started, 41 was like right in your prime for golf. And so, um, so it's just amazing how the game has evolved. But my transition to Gallagher couldn't go any better, honestly. Um, I know Gallagher's actually really big there in the UK. I think we have around 9,000 employees. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really good so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, a lot of people even now would say that obviously at your age, as it is now, just a little over 40 there, that maybe you still had, you know, maybe some good years ahead of you. But as you say, you've got a young family there and, and it maybe is just about time to, to make that decision to step away. Um, and yeah. it must have been a tough yeah. decision, even though it maybe had to be made.
1: You know, you think it would be hard, honestly, but it was the easiest decision I've made in my, my whole life. Um, I just the game for for the longest time was just exciting and it was fun and I loved it. And then towards the end, it, it turned into a job, you know, it turned into, uh, I hated being away from my family. I wasn't enjoying, uh, the practice, even though at times I was playing really well, I just, I just wasn't in love with it like I used to be. So I knew in my mind I was ready for a new challenge and a, a new chapter of my life. And, you know, I still love the game. I, I play, I tried to play a couple weeks ago in a, in a, in a corn fairy event. Um, I still have really good status. I can play most every week, but um, it's it's more of a a side uh, a side time you know a side gig now than it ever was um, than a full time job, obviously. So
0: yeah, so let's go back right to to obviously to the start then, and you you sort of born in Panama City in Florida, moving to to Carolina from an early age, and, and that's where you are now as well.
1: Yes, sir, in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. If you ever get a chance to come here, golf is on me. It's. Uh, <laughs> beautiful spot but I uh, lived here most of my life now um, you know I went to the University of South Carolina played golf there for 4 years had a great experience um, you know I just transitioned and 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 kind of went through the ranks of amateur golf and college golf like like all these kids do these days and um, you know as you get older you, you, you the game gets harder because your competition obviously in, in, improves you know, you go from college where you've got a bunch of teammates, um, to, to pro golf where nobody knows who you are, you know, everybody you, you compete against as a former all American. So, um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it, I remember it being a pretty unique transition and, um. It's really impressive what all these kids have done on tour these days that are coming just fresh out of college. So Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And and how how old were you? I think I sort of read the thing that you were sort of at the age of 9 you were sort of the the dreamers to be a pga tour player. But when did you really uh believe that was your profession going forward?
1: Well, i tell you, it was probably about that age. I mean, I in early uh in my early childhood, I was really blessed to have some great competition around me every week. And so at basically every local junior tournament, I was button heads with uh, Lucas Glover, who his name used to be Lucas Musselman before he was um, adopted by his stepdad. Um, I was also, Charles Howell, who's had an incredible career, obviously, um, just played against these guys all the time. And so, um, you know, you could almost flip a coin on who would win a tournament. And it was really fun, you know, and we all love the competition. Um, my first football game ever, I think I was 10 years old, was going to a game, uh, a Clemson football game with Lucas. Um, so it's, you know, golf's pretty close knit, and, and um, I knew early on that I was, I was just born for it. And I, I also knew I was, I was never going to be tall or fast or any of the other attributes you need for other sports. <laughs> <So> <laughs> golf was just kind of, kind of fell in my lap. But um, you know, I loved, I loved all the other sports. and played a lot of uh, basketball. It was, I, it was probably my favorite sport growing up, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and then that's the thing as well, and, and I believe that you were quite heavily recruited going into college, and how did you actually decide to go to South Carolina in the end?
1: Well, at South Carolina, my coach, his name is Puggy Blackman, and he he coached at Georgia Tech for a long time, and, and at Tech, obviously, he had David Duvall, Stuart Sink, Charlie Reimer, Trip Eisenhower, Briny Baird, I mean, the list goes on of, of tour players, and so I just knew that I wanted to play on tour and whoever, whatever coach could help, you know, kind of had a blueprint for how to get there. That's who I wanted to go to. And so um, he, he, he became a great mentor and a, and a really almost like a second father to me. And so um, it was it was great playing for him. That's why I chose South Carolina.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think there's there's quite a lot of different facets that you could look into, isn't it? I think you've got to sort of like the facilities and the actual campus itself. Then you've got uh, the golf course and how that suits your game. But also, like you say, there is is who's going to get you to where you need to be. So I think we see it a lot in um, sort of college football and, and basketball, and it's always a focus on who the coach is, right? So I uh, watch a program here called uh, Last Chance You on Netflix, and it's always about which coach can get you into the Division One schools and put you into the best position to go pro. So it's interesting to hear you say that and, and looking at the track record of the players that came before you that swayed your decision to go there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I just, I just knew where I wanted to get to. You know, we had a, a three-day-a-week, 6 a.m. workout for an hour, um, maybe it's 5:30. I can't remember now, but, uh, you know, I just liked being pushed like that. I, I kind of need that oversight to, to help me. And so that was something I liked compared to the, some of the other schools that I looked at, they just, you know, back then that was really before, you know, tiger and the whole workout, um, fitness stuff started. And so, um, you know, back then it was kind of frowned upon, honestly, to be, to be out working out really hard and, and, and training and, and, you know, lifting weights and then obviously Tiger came along and all that changed really quick.
0: So. <laughs> and that's what I think, so having doing these podcasts now, I spoke to uh, John Peterson who went to LSU and and he said that you know every day you're sort of on the grind, you're in the gym, it's very structured in your day. So you get up, you work out, you practice, you go to school, you, you do more practice, you play um, on, on your Thursdays and things like that. So, and he said that you know, that was the biggest drop off when he turned professional. We realized that was all on all on him to do that. Um, so very quickly, the, the early wake up calls and going to work out so early sort of dried up. And I think that sometimes leads to a difficult transition into the professional game. Would you agree with something
1: like that? I would totally agree. I would totally agree. I mean, you go from having a, your whole entire schedule planned out for you to being on your own and and, you know, really nobody in your corner but your parents and maybe your girlfriend or something. And so it's it's a big transition, you know, and that's probably why you see a lot of kids that are just world beaters, um, all through college. And then all of a sudden they just, they never really do anything in professional golf. It's just, uh, it's it's different when you you know when a putt counts for money. That's just the way it is. It's hard to, hard to explain it, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, and also
0: when you when you get out onto tour, obviously you need you know sponsors and and things like that, and people sort of start throwing money at you, I guess, and, and you know equipment deals and things like clothing deals, and and how quickly can that get to your head? Because I imagine as a young kid coming out of college, you know, twenty twenty one, that's quite a big deal to deal with, right? And and suddenly you think that maybe maybe it goes to your head. Maybe you think you uh, you deserve more, and suddenly that can go different mentalities as well.
1: Sure, sure, it's easy to compare yourself to to other guys who are getting better deals or worse deals or whatever it is. And, and um, you know, when I was coming out of college, we had a, a MaxFly plant right in our backyard here up in the upstate of South Carolina. And um, and I, so I played MaxFly my last year of college and played great with it. I was an All-American, second-team All-American. Well, MaxFly at that time basically went away and was bought soon after by taylor may so i lost i, I didn't i didn't get a, a contract with them I actually ended up signing my first three years with um nike played all nike equipment you know back when that was kind of back when nike equipment was almost like a like a walmart brand it just it just looked weird seeing a swoosh on the golf ball i don't <laughs> know if you can even remember that but you know um nike's obviously they came a long way through through the game but um early on you know it was definitely a, a kind of a, a brand new company in the golf realm but um you know, I played, so through my career, I played Nike for three years. I played Srixon for another, I believe, seven years. Tailor-made or Tideless, pure Tideless for a long time, and then kind of a mix of Tailor-made and Tideless towards the end. So, Do you all think great equipment. The,
0: um, That brings an added pressure to you when you've got these guys sort of giving you deals. Do you think that obviously we talk about you know the putts for money and things like that? But when you're uh, being given these equipment uh, deals and people are believing in you and things like that, does that ever factor into your mind, or could you put that out of the way and and just focus on your golf? Uh,
1: you know, so long ago where I thought about that. At the beginning, I do remember having a little bit of self consciousness about it, but I know towards the end, you know, it's just kind of part of business. It's just. They they put product in your hand because they want you to play great and they want you to be on TV and they want, you know, their logos to be seen. That's just and they want you nowadays that they want you to, to really engage in social media to help push their product. So that's just uh, kind of the nature of the beast. But I do remember my first year or two, kind of worried about if I played poorly, what the club companies would think of me, that sort of thing. Now, that's not that never even enters my mind. So
0: no absolutely not and so you turned professional uh, in 2001 after a, a you know a good college career you had three wins i believe it was in college and and played pretty well and uh, you know how was the transition that first year because it wasn't until 2003 where you played a full
1: calendar on the nationwide tour yeah so so tom actually had five wins i yeah 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 that's okay i'm doing you, a everybody disservice makes there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had I had five in college and set the school record that was my claim to fame at south carolina but um you know, my first year, I turned. I tried to make the Walker Cup. I was fifth on the on the on the the list, the rankings when they chose the team, and they snubbed me. They they went right over me. So uh, when that happened, I turned pro that fall. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Literally, I drove out from from Columbia, South Carolina, all the way out to Salt Lake City to do the Monday qualifier on the Nationwide Tour, and I'm talking that's a thirty-something hour drive. You know, I broke it up into two days. Um, I did a four, a four, uh, tournament stretch where I, I went out there and tried to Monday. I shot 76 and in 66 made it. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to get better really fast. <laughs> and I'm still carrying my like university of South Carolina golf bag, you know? And so, um, the next week was tri cities, Washington, another corn fair, or excuse me. Uh, well, what, what was then a nationwide event? I make it into that one. I'm playing great through three rounds. I'm in like sixth place going into the final round, maybe eighth place, top 10 for sure. I'm paired with Tim Petrovic on the final day, and I just, the night before, I could not sleep. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to win this, and <laughs> yeah, I had all these terrible thoughts going through my head, and I didn't sleep at all. played awful, shot like 79 maybe. Not only did I play bad, but because of that, I finished outside the top 25, which doesn't get me into the following week. So I so pack up my stuff. As soon as I finish, drive six hours down to Eugene, Oregon and tee it up the next morning on a Monday to try to Monday qualify I remember it like it was yesterday and I'll tell you why but I shot 69 70 played off with like 11 guys right so I I qualify again on Monday and then the very next day I'm I'm staying with Jeff Quinney I don't remember that name but he played on tour a long time yeah staying at his house in Eugene and 9-11 happened you know and uh our tournament was canceled because of that and you know we ended up playing some great, great golf courses out in the Pacific Northwest and like Pacific Dunes and Bandon Dunes. We played there. And anyways, we ended up making a bit of a golf trip that week. Um, And then we came back over to Boise, Idaho, drove there where I caddied for a buddy after I did not qualify. And um, after that, I drove all the way home. So it was a crazy, crazy trip. But when you're 21 years old, you know, you can't really fly and rent a car. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. So that's kind of how I did it. Trying to
0: achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and, you know, I had no idea about that story at all because you know when you just look on, you know the the years and and the, the starts that you had, and you think, well, what happened in two thousand and one, and why was there such a limited amount, and, and that explains it all. And you know, it must have been a frightening time to be in the country. I remember uh, the news being put out for nine eleven when we were over here, right? So I was pretty young then, and, and it was just. I think it was on a children's TV program, everything just shut down to the news. And it was like, wow, okay, like this is amazing. And I got the chance to go to the, um, New York a, a couple of years ago and went to the, the, the memorials into there. And, and it was just, you know, you, you, you put the headphones on and listen to Robert De Niro sort of, you know, audio. And it was just, it was horrific. Mm-hmm. And, and just looking at some of those, it brings a tear to your eye. And it really does worry you. And I think trying to, trying to, deal with that whilst being a young professional just left college. That must've been quite a hard thing to deal with, not knowing what was going to happen in the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, it was wild, honestly. I mean, um, like, like basically everybody through certain times in life. I, mean, I remember that. I remember when, uh, you know, princess Di when she passed away. Um, there's just certain things that, that just stand out in your mind. You know, I can remember every single detail about them. And obviously that trip, I, I, I remember everything and it's really sad what happened. Um, it's, it's awful. Um, but I, I think as a country it was it was amazing to see the resilience and you know right now there's just so much political divide in our country that everybody in the world's seeing and it was just at that time it was amazing to see everybody band together and just be a cohesive unit uh, one against um, you know terrorism and, and everything else and, and to really support our fellow Americans so um, yeah it was it was something else that's for sure. So, yeah
0: absolutely and you, and you coming from uh, your family's is a, a, Big military background as well, so I think that you know that you take a lot of pride in in how that the country dealt with that, and obviously the, the services and things like that as well. So you know it must have been a you know incredible time. And as you say, it was one of those things where you know America banded together to to really fight against terrorism, and even the world really. You know that was the first time that I think everyone sort of said like you know dating back to world wars and things like that. But obviously we really said modern day like you know this is not this is not OK and we're not going to stand for this. And, and it was crazy. And so think of dealing with all of that when you're trying to, you know, just play golf as well for a living, it's kind yeah. of a, a bit of a crazy time. So then you get to 2002 and, uh, you know, you, you you'd make another few starts there and you play in, uh, I think it was actually the Panama Open uh, was the first start of 2002. Um, and then you went over to the Qatar Masters in, in the European Tour as well.
1: So how are those? Yeah. You? Well, you did, a, did some great background. Um, <laughs> so... So 2002, I had obviously no status, and, and this is what was – I did 11 Monday qualifiers that year. I mean, it's so hard to make these things. I only made one or two, like you pointed out. And then at the end of that year, I, I um, basically I found something. I finished top three and, and four straight uh, Hooters Tour events, which is – I think that tour is defunct now, but um, it's a little mini tour. And so I found something. I got through Q School that year. I think the last shot of Q-School, I had a chance. If it goes in, I'm, I get my car, but I miss it by a shot. Um, so then 2003, I go to Qatar, and this story's a good one here. I fly – that was back when the war was just starting to crank up over in the Middle East. And I'm flying out of Atlanta. I drive to Atlanta, which is a two-hour drive from my house, and I've got a direct flight from Atlanta to, to Paris, Paris, to Dubai, Dubai, into Doha, uh, Qatar. And the lady there is begging me not to go at the airport, the the (laughs) Delta agent. She's like, you know, you know, there's a travel advisory. You just shouldn't. This is dangerous. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I'm going like I just wanted I could I got into this European tour event. My agent did a good job. It was me and um, two other Americans, Charlie Hoffman, you obviously know, and another guy, Chris Mundorf, that we're going to go play in this event. Well, so I leave from Atlanta on a Friday night, get Finally get to Dubai where our flight was delayed. So we ended up having to spend the night in Dubai on Saturday night. My luggage, none of my luggage showed. On Sunday, none of my luggage showed. On Monday, my clothing bag shows, but no clubs. Ugh. On We find out where my clubs are on Tuesday, and they're still back in the Atlanta airport. It's crazy. Uh-huh. So they sent them straight over. They, got, they ended up getting there on Thursday after I'd already teed off. So I'm playing with uh, a member of the club, his set of irons that were way too long, They were too upright, but um, I I somehow scrambled to shoot 70 the first day, and it was it was a neat week though because I played a practice round with with longtime friend of mine Trevor Emmelman as well as Gary Player, and that was pretty neat. But um, you know, I remember shooting actually I shot better with the members set of irons than I did with my own once (laughs) they showed up. So (laughs) yeah, very typical. But I made the cut. Uh, I think I made maybe you know six thousand dollars or something like that, and uh, it was it was a fun a fun experience for sure so
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and then obviously you say there, you know you had a, f- a few miscuts uh after that but your first full season on the nationwide tour was uh was is actually incredible when you look back at it i think that you probably don't get enough credit for how you came out there because uh you had four top tens that year um and two of them were second place finishes um and I, if i got it correctly uh in one of those um, it was in the B&W Charity Pro Am, and you actually got beat by Trip Eisenhower, who you referenced earlier. Um, and you also got to meet—was um, it Jack Nicholas that week as well?
1: Yeah, exactly. It, Jack played in the event. Um, he played with—it was—it's a charity pro am. It's sort of like the AT&T Pebble Beach event where you have amateurs and pros. And he played with his son, and he made the cut. And he was in the locker room before the final round. I had this red Nike hat on. And I said, uh, I walked up to him, I said, Mr. Nicholas, is there any way that you would just sign the, the top of my bill here? And he said, yeah, sure. And um, yeah, he signed my hat award all day on Sunday and played great. Uh, the last hole, I kind of chunked a chip, but I had a about a 25-footer with three feet of break left or right that I can to finish solo second to beat um, to beat Paul, uh, I think last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly paul claxton out of, a, out of out of a shot and that's big you know from second to tied for second is a big difference yeah, especially absolutely. you know when it comes down to the money list so yeah that was uh, i remember that like it was yesterday <laughs>
0: yeah and then uh you know so that was your first experience to finish second i suppose you see all the positives in that you know it's the first uh you know first chance you had to win you know you, you get that extra bit of money for coming out of the tie for second to solo second uh, so that's a positive right on the final day then you get to a second at the chattanooga classic behind jason bone um when after finishing second for the second time that season does does any frustration st- uh, sort of kick in or are you still you know just really glad to be playing that well
1: no no that second finish was awesome i had my sister caddying for me my younger sister i had two sisters that both played college golf and one of them is the coach at Ole miss now wow. university and so my one sister casey was caddying and on the last hole jason's in front of me he makes a birdie and he's got he's from the area he had like 40 fans all wearing shirts that said mr 59 you've got you've been boned (laughs) b-o-h-n-e-t and so um the last hole he makes a birdie in front of me i'm standing out on this par five about 240 out and they all start going crazy he's celebrating high-fiving and and so now he's got a two-shot lead on me i know it and so i i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna make eagle here we're gonna push a playoff and i hit this shot that landed three inches from the cup with a used to hit a seven wood and um it went by about eighteen twenty feet, and I lipped out a putt coming down the hill uh. to, to push, a, push a playoff. But yeah, that was crazy. Um, I, I want to quickly go back and tell you a, a, an amazing story. Uh, I just remembered on my very first event that year. If you if you look back on my schedule, there I, I played in Australia. Our first two events on the tour: were Australia, and New Zealand. And I'm in Australia. My first event ever as a pro. I shoot. I, I shot sixty seven. I believe 76 or 77 and I'm on the cut line. I'm sitting here watching back on the computer at the hotel and on the cut line, it says top 60, uh, make the, make the cut or whatever. Well, I remember like Kevin Johnson makes a par. I'm tied for 61st. I'm right above the line on the computer. Well, I've got a friend of mine, Adam groom he used to play on tour for a long time on the European tour, or excuse me, uh, Australian tour. But we go out and have a huge night cause I missed the cut. I said, Hey, should I call and check? He said, nah, mate, you know, computers are always right. (laughs) And so I go out, we go out all night long, find out the next day, early in the morning, my buddy of mine calls me, says, Hey Kyle, I think you made the cut. I said, nah, you're, you're crazy. And sure enough, I had made the cut because there's an amateur in the field. Um, and so, so what happened was, you know, 77 guys made the cut. So my buddy gave me money for a cab. I'm running across the parking lot, really hungover, but the clothes that I wore the day before, my clubs are dragging on the <laughs> pavement. I don't have a caddy. And uh, I ended up missing my tee time by like 10 minutes, DQ'd. And so that was a really, really tough way to yeah, start just, my whole career. Because that,
0: that was the thing. I didn't even want to go into because I just, I just saw a DQ there and then two top tens. And I'm like, you know, what happened there? Maybe, <laughs> maybe don't ask it. And, uh, but that oh, great. no. I'm glad no you did. It was
1: beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that happened. And then the, the following week, I finished eighth with a double on the last hole. So, yeah, it's uh, – it's wild looking back on all that, that yeah, two week stretch. And this
0: is the thing. So you did, you know, once you got out onto the tour, you really did sort of hit the ground running. Um, you know, I think that as, as we know, you've won five times and that's only too short of the record on the, on the corn ferry nation, or whatever you want to call it now. Um, and you go into the next year and again, you have uh you know, four, six top tens and another two uh, tied second finishes. Um, And one of them was at the Scholarship America Showdown behind, uh, he lost to Kevin Stadler in a playoff. Um, But if I'm right, you shot a 62 in the second round. It was a course record, if I believe.
1: Yeah, I I remember that week. I I shot about 83, I believe, on Wednesday in in the (laughs) Pro-Am. And I couldn't have apologized more to my Pro-Am partners. I said, I am so, so sorry promise you i'm not this bad i mean i pride myself on giving everybody a really good experience and it just wasn't that day i I hit it terrible and i spent a few hours on the range i don't even remember what i figured out but it was the best ball striking week of my life um ended up i I didn't make a putt all week over 15 feet and lost in a playoff so you just never know as you're out practicing and you're playing and you've got a tournament coming up you just never know when it's all going to start clicking together so um, try not to get too frustrated. That's my advice when it comes to that. Yeah, stuff.
0: absolutely. Because again, you know, when I was doing, you know, looking back at the scores and, you know, so that's your uh, your third second place finish on the uh, the Nationwide Tour at this point, and you have another second at the Virginia <laughs> Beach Open later on in the year. At what point do you start going? It's not it's not going my way, and and actually I uh, I should have a win by now.
1: Yeah, it was frustrating. I remember it took me a long time to get my first win, and I, it was starting to bother me because I kept finishing. Runner up. I was in so many league groups on Sundays and just wasn't finishing, closing the deal back then. I mean, that week in Virginia Beach, on the last hole of the tournament, I'm trying to hole a bunker shot. And and that's the only way to make a playoff. And I get it, catch it thin, I blade it over the green, chip it on, miss the putt. I make double. And if I just make a bogey that year, I would have made my, made, gotten my tour card because I would have been solo second. Instead, I shared it. Uh, James Driscoll won it, and I shared it with like another guy or two. But, um, you know, kind of live and learn. But that was uh, that was frustrating. But I was just at times I felt like I was trying to press a little too hard to, to get that first victory. And I learned later on that, you know, they just kind of happen. They just kind of come along whenever things just work. And so um, anytime you, you really try to force the game or press, it, it, it just doesn't work out for you.
0: Yeah, but again, you know, it's that's easy to, when you know, looking back and reflecting. But this time, right, the ultimate goal for, you know, any no pro golfer out there is going to say to you, my goal is to get to the Nationwide Tour and stay there and just do my best. Everyone wants to get to the PGA Tour, right? And you're trying to get there as quickly as you can. Um, you know so and I think you know do you think if you'd have come out um, from college now as opposed to the year that you did do you think that you'd have you know got straight out onto the PGA Tour and played there for a long time just because of how they're prepared now and, and the technology and things like that, that you've got available to them now
1: I think so I mean the the honestly the the amount of instruction and everything that you can if as long as you can block out the clutter the, the amount of instruction and everything that you, the resources that are online, as well as the training, um, you know, you've got guys that are so prepared now when they come out of college, it's like, they've, they've skipped about 10 years of experience and they just show up and go. Um, there's a, there's a system called decade golf that a friend of mine, Scott's got, and it's, it's just a great way to manage the way around the golf course. And, uh, you know, these kids are just learned, they've learned things without getting all the scar tissue that it took guys like me and, and older guys to, to figure out. And so, Um, I think that's what you're seeing right now on tour. It's just a group of young guns that, uh, you know, they have no fear, but yet they know how to manage their games They know how to get around a golf course properly. And, um, you know, they've got access to all the best training equipment, um, everything. So it's, it's, it's pretty exciting time for the game, even though a lot of our favorites, you know, the Phil Mickelson's and tigers of the world are getting a little older. I think the future is very bright for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you've only got to look at the the college kids that come out last year and you've got, you know, Colin Mulcahy and Matthew Walsh and Victor Hovland and they all just hit the ground running and win in their first season that, uh, you know, Bryson did it very early on as well. I know he came from a, you know, a very good amateur career and college career and things like that but it just seems to me that, you know with with what they've got going for them now with the technology they've got behind them you mentioned uh scott Forsett there um we had Will Zalasaurus on recently on the podcast and he he works very closely with scott um it just seems to be that you know data doesn't lie right so yes there is a lot of things that's clutter and and you can get caught up in it and you know i've had players say that you know looking at the stats on the PJ tour website can get inside your head a little bit and things like that but but when it's there you can't ignore it whereas Back in the day, I suppose you're sort of dealing with feels and, and what you think is going wrong, as opposed to what the, what the system's telling you.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, back in the day, the, the only stats you really had was a, a driving distance stat you could look at, and it's usually just gridded on on two holes of, of of the round. You know, there's nothing about your attack angles or anything like that to figure out what's going on with your own swing. And you know, that's probably the beauty of it too is it takes it's a little more creativity, I would say, back then than than today. Um, although you do have some some unique swings with Victor Hovlin and as well as uh, I'm drawing like on a kid that's got the really wild Matthew swing Wolf, but um,
0: yeah he's nice, Matthew he's pretty Wolf, sure he's yes
1: written, yeah. yeah it's pretty awesome it's pretty unique but um you know it, there's a lot of robots coming out of college now I mean you look at these kids and they, they all have very similar swings they uh, they know how to compress the ball like no other and um, it's it's you know. I think the days of seeing the really unique moves like a like a Lee Trevino or Ray Floyd or I mean, you just go down the list of all the all the, you know, Jim Furyk's all that sort of stuff. I think those days are are long gone, to be honest with you.
0: Well, that's the thing is that I think everyone's in search for the swing the traditional swing you know getting it on the right plane all the time and things like that you know and it is actually crazy that Matthew Wolfe has had to come out and I know it's more of a you know the action as opposed to the yeah, the end result is still what he needs it to be um, but I think he spoke of before he found George Gankus that was coaching him now that people did try and change it and, and that's why he had to sort of open up his recruitment again and it's very easy for for people to be put off now i mean at the end of the day if you get you know the club to the ball and, and it works why why try and interfere with that and we're seeing it a lot now where right. players are losing full seasons trying to make swing changes and putting changes that uh you do sometimes just want to go with what works
1: yep yep exactly i mean at the end of the day it's just a game and you're trying to get the ball in a hole as fast as possible so if 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 it's ugly, I'd rather have something that's really ugly and works than something that's beautiful <laughs> and just doesn't get it done. So, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Let's get to some positivity in your career now. So, 2007, uh, not only do you get your first, but you get your second win as well, your two, a two two win season there, uh, and it was the first of three wins at the Rex Hospital Open, now I know I've spoken to you in the past, and I've messaged you <laughs> saying, oh you, you know, you're down in Rally there you know, this is your week, because you know, it just seems yeah. to be the Kyle Thompson Open by the end of it, because you have uh, three wins there, and I know you named your your son after the event, but it could have been Rex as well, I'm sure I'm sure that name was tossed <laughs> in there, um, but what what is it about that golf course, and what was it about that time when you won that that really was the difference between you winning that week and, and coming second
1: i remember that week i hit it really well i played with jimmy walker and da points the first two days and i think i shot 60 i want to say 66 68 or something to get the week started and you know everything you're doing was just yourself on
0: a uh, horrible disservice there by the way You Am shot I? 64 65 to open up that week
1: oh well hell <laughs> you're even better than you thought you were <laughs> all right well there we are there cool well i i do remember getting off the hot start so yeah um <laughs> that's funny but yeah I, I putted really really well that week i was using a belly putter back in the day my putting has been something that's always given me a bit of a, a, a headache but i putted great that week um i believe i beat bob burns by two shots if i'm not mistaken but hey, yep. um y- yep it was just a, a really fun week um The funny thing is looking back two weeks before that, I finished third up in Maryland and had a a, a caddy that I picked up literally in the parking lot. Like I just, I was with my, my fiance at the time picked up a caddy in the parking lot, finished third. I said, Hey, I've already got a buddy caddy for me the following week in Chicago, but if you want, you can meet me in, in Raleigh. Well, I go up to Chicago. I've got this longtime friend of mine who is now a a tailor-made rep out on the PGA tour. And I shot like a, 45 or 47 or something insane on one of the nines this golf course had some really high stuff and i just i don't know what happened i just i couldn't get out of the out of the crap and so you know i end up missing a cut up there by a gazillion and then coming down to raleigh with no expectations so i went third blow out the cut missed it by a billion come down to raleigh catch my caddy again the guy just finished third with and win the tournament so it was like wow what's going on here so it was it was kind of crazy that year um uh, that was pretty unique. Yeah. And then you mentioned the second one later on in the year, I'm out in Eugene, Oregon, where I, the place where I was for nine 11. And, um, I really wasn't in the mix. The final round I actually started the final round with a, a left tee ball out of bounds and it got up and down a really good up, up and down to make a double on my first hole of the day. Right. So I fought back and I ended up birdie in a few of the last couple holes and I got to the last hole and I was still not even in the mix. And I make a seventy footer from the fringe putted it in for an Eagle <laughs> to get into a three-way playoff with John Turcott and Matt Jones, who's obviously done really well on the PJ tour. And so um and then I think it was a two or three hole playoff that I won that playoff. So um yeah, it was it was insane. I mean, it was absolutely insane winning <laughs> that tournament. Yeah. So, so. It,
0: it's amazing, isn't it? To go from kind of having two uh, second place finishes in two consecutive seasons and then to change those into two wins um, and then obviously you, you then got to think about what that does for your, your game now so everything you've been pursuing for the last few years you're now on to the pga tour in 2008 and how how does it feel is it a case of being intimidated um did did you feel like you fit in straight away or did did you sort of admire what people are doing before you got there
1: you know, it was weird because I knew half the guys out there um, on the PGA Tour because all the all my friends from you know basically 2003 through then through then have moved up through the the Nationwide Tour um, were on the PGA Tour, and so I knew tons of the guys. Um, I, I really don't. The best way I could explain how my career on the PGA Tour went is I just got out there and, and spent too much time looking at other guys' games and trying to kind of compare my own game to them, and, and you know. I always was trying to get a little longer with my, my T balls because length is, is a key out there. And the PGA, the PGA tour courses are a bit longer than the, the, the uh Corn Ferry courses. They're a little bit more difficult, but um, it just never quite got you know comfortable in my own skin out there, which is it was just really odd because it's not there's nobody to be intimidated out there, but I just couldn't quite get it figured out. But um, you know, I had some great experiences that year. Um, spent a lot of time with my uh fiance or excuse me my my new wife that year we got married at end of 07 um and um we had a great time traveling i mean my experiences traveling the world on on both tours were just incredible and um you know whether i played good or bad golf i I got to see places that that uh, there's no chance i'd ever get to see them if i wasn't in this career or that career
0: Absolutely. Oh, I think you did you propose to your now wife in, in Pebble Beach as well, where you say is one of your favorite yeah. golf courses?
1: <laughs> yeah, man. You did some research. Yep. I, I proposed to her in 2000. I believe it was 2007. And um, we got married at the end of '07. But the week that I proposed to her, um, I finished, I think, 24th maybe at, at Pebble that week. But <clears throat> this is kind of a, a I'll try to be quick. But I'm, I'm doing this pro am out at Monterey Country Club. Um, excuse me, not Mon- um yeah. MPCC and Monterey Peninsula country club. And, uh, and there's, there must've been, it was on two courses. So there must've been 250 amateurs and there's one pro in each group. I've got me some amateur and then Ricky Barnes on the range and Ricky's we're just chatting back and forth. And Ricky's like, what's going on? I said, man, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm, I'm proposing to my fiance tonight at sunset, <laughs> you know? And he's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, I really hope I don't get paired with some hackers that they're going to take all day and I I miss the the sunset. And he's like, and and the amateur guy's laughing, you know, well, you know, fast forward 25, 30 minutes, I go sit in my golf cart and who's there, but that amateur is my, my partner in the golf cart. So it's just crazy how life and God's sense of humor works out. I feel like so. uh, (laughs) uh, I ended up shooting, I shot about 80 that day. I was so nervous because I was, I was thinking about, my engagement but it was a great week i remember finishing like i said top 25 then i hopped on a plane and flew to australia my, my fiance flew back home so um yeah it was fun
0: do you think as well that you know because that's a big big step in your life isn't it is to obviously you know you're with you with your girlfriend then and you know you're getting engaged and and life's becoming a bit more serious then so do you think that then heading into the pga tour you've got all that excitement and the excitement of the pga tour do you think sometimes you just get wrapped up in both not to to blame the situation on that but obviously you know there's a lot of moving parts in there
1: yeah there's definitely you know i I tell people that the pga tour is about 10 times everything of the the corn Ferry tour i mean it's 10 times it was actually probably more than 10 times a purse now, but you know, you've got 10 times more people out. You've got just way more, um, media you've got, it's just, everything's bigger. You know, the, the, the sky boxes, everything. So, um, the guys that tend to do the best on the PJ tour are the ones that can just put on blinders and just get out there and, and get it done. Um, you know, it really frustrated me that I didn't do better out there because, I felt like I was every bit as good as anybody else coming through through the tours, you know, the Corn Ferry tour. So, um, it, you know, it's definitely something that frustrates me that I didn't do better out there and really cash in on being on the PJ Tour through my three seasons out there. But, um, you know, there's really nothing I can do about it now. Possibly when I when I get to 50, maybe I'll give it a run on the Old Man Tour.
0: That sounds good to me. But th- th- I think the thing that, that highlights it the most is in that 2008 season, you know, your first season on the pair, on, on your first season on the PGA, you you drop down to two corn ferry events and finish second in both of those. Um, <laughs> you know it just yeah. highlights that what you're saying there that you know once you take away all the the crowds, the boxes, the the distractions, um, that when it comes to just playing golf and it's just down to you and how you swing, um, you know you're unbelievably talented and, and can get the wins done where you need to.
1: Yeah, well, uh, thank you. Um, I do remember that. Playing. I don't remember where one of. I remember one of them was in Salt Lake City where I finished second. I had a an about an eight footer for birdie in the last to get a solo second, and I left it short. It was an uphill putt. I felt, uh, yeah, I was ticked at myself, but, um, yeah, I finished second there, tied for second, made a nice chunk of change. Uh, my wife and I go to, um, <laughs> we go to Las Vegas from there. And met up with Chris Stroud and his wife. We had a great time. My wife actually hit a slot machine for like. I want to say it was like twenty-five hundred or three thousand dollars, and we went crazy. Like it was a, we was the most excited we'd been in a long time. Even though I just made forty grand the day before, uh, we went nuts. And so, you know, it was just so unexpected, but um, it was really fun. And I remember seeing Mike Tyson. and uh, Chris got a picture of Mike Tyson in the in the club that <laughs> night. It was, it was, a, it was a pretty fun time. But I could, um,
0: I confirm the other second was in Louisiana, and you actually only lost by a shot that week to uh, to Gavin Coles after shooting sixty-five uh, on the last day. <laughs>
1: He, I, I can't believe he beat me that that week because I shot 65 and the wind was blowing 25, 30 miles an hour left or right all day on every tee ball. I played my butt off the last day and um, really thought that I was going to win. And I heard he made like a, a clutch six footer on the last hole to beat me. So, at uh, Gavin's, you know, his nickname's Angry Ant. He could really play back in his day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's just fast forward a little bit to 2010. Um, you have another second place finish behind uh Chris Kirk at the Fort Smith Classic. Um both oh, wow. of you play absolutely superb golf that final day. Uh you lose out by one uh after shooting a 63 and he shot a 64, which is uh some incredible golf and and when you kind of get beat by that I suppose it's like well I've done everything I can do and and that's it.
1: Well, there's a lot to this story. My <laughs> status had gotten pretty bad that that year. And at the last minute, I decided to shoot out there and do a Monday qualifier. Um, you know, I wasn't even sure. I, I just wasn't getting in any starts. And so um, I go out I, in the Monday qualifier. I, I, this is insane, this story. My last four holes, a storm pops up. I was only one under with four holes to play in the qualifier. This massive, massive storm pops up. Uh, four holes to go. I hit a, on a par three. I hit it to three feet, make birdie. So now I've got this par five. I've got two par fives and a par three. Two of the par fives are now, because of the storm, dead downwind. And so the first par five or normally I would be hitting a 230-yard shot, I had a 150-yard shot, and I hit a pitching wedge in. All right? I make an eagle. So now I am four under all of a sudden. The next par three is into the wind. It's, I hit three iron. Well, I should have been eight iron. Make par. Then the last hole, I hit a, a lob wedge in the green. It was a straight downwind, downhill hole. So anyways, I make another Eagle there. I get into this playoff. The playoff goes five holes and I am three under through the, for two spots. I go, I'm three under through five holes and I'm still in the playoff. Had to come back out the next morning and finish. Um, Brian Harmon was actually in that playoff and he, he didn't make it through, but, um, in the playoff, I made three putts that were outside of 15 feet just to stay alive because other guys had already hit it inside of like three feet. So, um, it was absolutely amazing that A I got into the tournament, and then B that I played the way I did in the tournament, which shuffled me and got me into much more starts, and, and literally kept my career going. <laughs> but,
0: because that's the thing. I know you're uh, you get on well with um, Ryan French, who runs a Monday Q Info account, and he, you know, highlights these stories every week, and it's just incredible the pressure uh, that you face just to get into a tournament, and then you know you double down and have a really good week there, and that sets you up for, obviously the rest of the season. Um, and then you go into 2011, um, and here comes your favourite tournament again, the, the Rex Hospital Open. <laughs> um, every four years, it's like clockwork. You, uh, <laughs>
1: like the Olympics. That's like the it, Olympics. yeah.
0: You, you shoot 68 or better all week, uh, hold off uh, the chasing pack by one. Um, does, that, does the second win, or third win, sorry, does that kind of um, vindicate anything for you? Did it, after sort of having a little break away from winning, did it... Did it mean anything more to you that week, or was it kind of just an addition?
1: You know, of all my events uh, and wins, I I really hardly even remember that one. I it's honestly I I don't even remember who I beat. I don't remember anything about that one. Um, it's weird because I obviously I can remember everything that I've done that we've talked about. But uh, if you told me who finished second, I can maybe give you details. But I do remember that it felt good to kind of come back and validate my game after after struggling a bit. You know, I. After, after really playing the well in 2007, winning twice, playing the PGA Tour really poorly in eight, I was kind of down on myself through nine and ten, and so it was one of those times where it was nice to validate that, all right, I've still got it. I've, I've still got some game, and, um, you know, got got that win, ended up getting my tour card through that season, so.
0: <clears throat> yeah, just in that chase impact was Troy Kelly, Martin Flores, and Scott Brown. And Scott Brown, of course, is a, is a PGA Tour winner as well.
1: Okay, yeah, I've... I've, I've vaguely actually i do remember now okay my caddy jj um who's a uh black guy he's awesome he's from atlanta he's 78 or 9 years old now still caddying he caddied for me for a couple years um and actually he's he's top 10 on the money list right now caddying but um on on the the corn ferry. but i remember I, i stuffed it on the last hole i was i had to make a i was had to make birdie to win i hit it about 10 feet uphill putt and i look over to jj and he's standing in the shade under the under the uh, the tent, and he wasn't even about to come over there and help me read this putt. And so I make it, and and I said, "How come you didn't want to help?" He's like, "Man, you've been making putts all day. I'm not about to get in your way." He's like, y- "You think I'm going to come in on the last hole of the day and try to try to give you advice?" So it was awesome. He was a hell of a caddy. So
0: yeah, and, that, and that's amazing, isn't it? Is that that is the theme of like? I think sometimes players do um, get in their own heads and and try and take on too much and and overthink it. And the best caddies probably do just let you go and run with it and, and know when you're on a heater and that's probably the best ones to uh, I know guys do jump in I spoke to Paul Tazori he said he knows when to jump in with Webb but he sort of asks him when to do it and I think that's the, that's the best case of example there is that you know you're playing well why do you need me to help you out
1: exactly less is more a lot of the times and and the best caddies that I had I always I always like to have really experienced caddies because I like when um you know when they know kind of their place of of when to when to push and when to pull and and he, he did a perfect job in that setting so it was great
0: do you remember the next two weeks after winning that week
1: so yeah. let me think here i think i went i finished did i finish second and third or second and fourth maybe second in and uh, fourth wichita yeah yeah w- wichita matt goggin made a really nice putt on the last hole to beat me we were paired together yep. i left a putt on the 71st hole like hanging over the lip counted to 10 it didn't go in but, um, yeah, I played really, really well there. Then I go to Mexico, and I played awesome there, too. I finished fourth. I am full of confidence. I mean, nobody's going to beat me. That's the way I felt in my mind. I get home, and I must have drank something in the airport, but I had that Montezuma's Revenge. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but huh? basically the Mexican water can get you. And, I, and for 15 days, I couldn't get out of bed. I went to oh, the hospital wow. twice. I lost like 20 pounds. I mean, it was awful, 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 and um, totally lost my strength. And I, it showed in my game For the rest. I think basically the rest of that season, I just played really, really poorly.
0: I was going to say because you went first, second, fourth, which I think is probably the best sort of run of consistency that you went on to, and and this is and this is exactly why I wanted to ask this because you did go 65th, 40th, and then went on sort of a, a run of miscuts when you know there's a tie 21st in there in between, but it, you know to to I didn't know if it was a case of like right I've locked up you know my card with the with the win second and fourth do I lax off or whether it was something mm-hmm. else that was present you know preventing you from kicking on from there,
1: so that, that comes yeah. Out. I- well, yeah, I, I remember hitting the ball a full club shorter when I went back to playing. But it was, I mean, if, if you have to lose a lot of weight really quick, that's the way to do it, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> so 2012
0: now, and that's your your second run at the PGA Tour. Um, I don't think I need to, you know, remind you of the finishes that you had that year. But what what was different that year compared to when you did it in
1: 2008? Well, <clears throat> I remember, you know, even through 11, when I when I had those good finishes, I was fighting a bit of the yips with my putter. It was getting worse and worse. And I think when I in, in 2012, it really hit me. I, I was I was top 33 in every ball striking stat from under 150 yards. I was actually second uh, second from the rough and first from the fairway from 125 to 150. I I, I mean, I remember looking at all these stats, thinking, man, why I'm just you know, I was 10 feet away from the hole just trying to two putt at times. It was the worst feeling ever. I felt so exposed. I, I just didn't know what to do. And, uh, I remember I, I spent more time than anybody on the putting green and it's like the more I practiced it, the worse I got it. And it, it just really was, it was a tough time for me that year because I know, you know, had anybody else been putting for me, I would have made, you know, easily a million dollars or more that year. Um, cause I hit, I hit the ball super, super great that year. So, um, that was a really tough time for me. It, it wasn't until after that year, I, I really figured out the yips. I mean, I remember hiring a, a sports psychologist. I mean, I had all kinds of people trying to help me figure out this animal, but, um, I did get it figured out. I made a little bit of a technique change. I went to a claw grip and I did some, some mental things. I don't know if you want me to go into it, but I can, if no, anybody's no, out struggling it, go with go the for, yips. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, what I did was, um, I recorded on my phone basically the top 10 putts that I could remember hitting throughout my career, like big, big putts. And I tried to record them with as much vivid detail as possible. You know, what, you know, where, what the putt was doing, where I was, what, you know, what the weather was like, just make it just so that you can bring back those memories really clear. Cause it's obviously a really, a a good memory. So I recorded, uh, I wrote them all down and I recorded these on my phone and then while I was driving to a a mini tour event over in Alabama or someplace or Mississippi in 2013, I listened to this sucker for eight straight hours. And what I do, I had it on repeat. And every time I, when I was listening to it, I would pull on my left earlobe. I mean, I know this sounds really fruity, right? But I would pull on my left earlobe, which would um, and, and try to make myself smile. And my thoughts was if I could recreate these great memories, even if if it's in my subconscious when I'm out playing, that it would help. So I didn't know if it would do it. You know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. So I go to this event at a pretty good golf course and I finish second or third and I made like 25 birdies in three days. I mean, it was awesome. So, um, I right then and there, I had my confidence back. I was ready to go. And I figured, I felt like I figured out how to, how to beat the yips. So,
0: but that, that's the thing, though. So I've spoken to uh, to Paul DeZorio, Webb Simpson's caddy, and he spoke about, because Webb went, obviously went through a really bad putting uh, spell when, when they got rid of the belly putter and things like that. Um, and in the end, he had to snap his belly putter over his knee uh, to stop using it, so uh, you know you had to go cold turkey, which is really out of character. And how much of mm-hmm. it is obviously because it must start with a technique issue, right? So you don't just suddenly just forget how to putt. There obviously is something that's happened in the stroke, but how much of it is mental compared to to technical?
1: I would say eighty percent mental, twenty percent technical. My technically, my putting had gotten to I was gating the putter too much, so it was just swinging open and closed too much. So because of that, you know, I had to be really had to have perfect timing to hit a putt where I was looking. And so, um, so that was the technical part, but I would say 80% of it was mental because every putt I had, especially short putt, I, I had the, you know, like the angst, the, the fight or flight sort of body responses. And it's just such an awful feeling. Anybody that's ever fought the yips with, you know, putting or driving or whatever, it, they know what I'm talking about. And, you know, it, it just took a lot of time to, and, you know, you know, doing those exercises i mentioned also focusing a lot of my breathing um trying to get my heart rate down because you know <clears throat> it's really hard to explain to somebody because it's just a game but yet i was having these feelings that that i felt like i couldn't control but um you know doing the exercises i told you about just it seemed to quiet those feelings that i still fought it even late in my career a little bit of it i, I even in and you know 2018 i didn't put very well either on the P J tour and it, i was just fighting it then too it's so it's it's almost like once you catch it, it's just this virus that you just can't quite get rid of completely, yeah. but you just try to minimise it the best you can.
0: No, because we, we see it on you know on the P J tour especially, there's there's some incredible ball strikers and they've got Keegan Bradley, Lucas Glover who you've already spoken about, you know, they they really hit the ball as good as most on tour really, definitely in the top ten, you know, fifteen players. Um, but just can't seem to buy a putt, you know, especially when, you know, okay, they might have a, you know, a low Thursday or Friday round and then when it gets to you know, under the gun, it seems to be that you just don't trust it. And I think that's a lot you know, lots to do with the Yips, isn't it? Is that you know you just not believe in the parts are gonna go in and as soon as you see some miss by, you know, miss right or miss left and never online, you start to really question whether a part's ever gonna drop for you, especially under pressure.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's it's you know, it's a real mental war out there because you, ideally in a perfect world, you're you're tightest on the first hole and then by the last hole today you're the loosest. But we all know that's not the case. It ends up flipping around. It's the opposite. So um, it's just a lot of mental games. It's a lot of, uh, for me, it was a lot of trying to sing, you know, sing a favorite tune or whatever it was just to try to keep your mind off of your putting, you know. And so uh, you also, you know, having a really solid routine helps if your routines way off and you're spending too many times looking at the hole, or you're spending too much time looking at your stroke or, or, um, you know, in your practice strokes, thinking about, you know, what your face is doing, um, you know, it really affects you. So I, I, I explored every single option to try to improve my putting over the years. And, you know, I did. I felt like I gave it my complete best. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about how good you putted on the PGA Tour. And the guys that are up there every week are really great putters.
0: Yeah, and, and it's you know they do say it, don't they? They say they you know, drive for show and putt for dough and, and everyone tries to dispel that saying that driving is more important and things like that now, but you do see it. These guys are hitting the ball as good as everyone. If they don't make the putts, they don't win. So that is the great equaliser, I believe. And, and let's just fast forward again to, to 2015 now and uh, you started off with a couple of miscuts cuts before you get to your favourite tournament once again. Um, <laughs> it, it, it strikes there again, you know, uh, at the Rex Hospital <coughs> Open 2015. So so four years again between that win, um, you open with a first round sixty-three, and is that a case of when you open like that? And of course, you love that you're like, okay, here we go again.
1: Well, it was comical because that year I had uh, I did eight or nine PGA and PGA Tour Monday qualifiers. The only one I qualified was with a sixty-five out in uh, in San Diego, and I missed the cup by one after after pulling my back. But um, I, I mean, I went to Puerto Rico. I went everywhere. Well, that that week was my last event. My status was – that was the last event I'm going to get into because I won it four years before. And before that week, I got a professional uh, resume writer to write a resume for me. I was ready to go out in the the job world and find a real job. Well, I start that week off in the practice round against Tommy Ganey. We had a a big group of guys. I think I shot 61 in the practice round. I mean, just (laughs) blew it out. And my caddy, my caddy said, all right, well, this week's over because never play good after playing really good in a practice. Now. It's just impossible. Well, then the very, you know, next round is 63. And then I, uh, you know, I was just firing on all cylinders that week. And, um, you know, I, I ended up having a playoff. And um, I remember on Sunday, the final round, that it was almost like God's hands around me saying, hey, you're good. I got you here because I had this amazing sense of calm throughout the entire final round. Even when I started kind of slow, I just knew I was going to win. It was the weirdest sense of like calm. And, um, my long time, or my, that was the first week I'd ever had this caddy. His name's Smiley. Um, and he caddied for Tom Watson a lot. He was best friends with, um, Edwards. He passed away. And so, uh, Smiley told me, he said, Hey, I talked to Tom last night. He gave me some tips to tell you today. He said, walk extra slow and try to breathe, you know, as slow as you can. Said, so, okay, and I did that all day. And if in the playoff, I was 30 yards behind the two guys, Pat and Desire, and uh, Miguel Carballo. and um, just really try to just pace myself and and just do everything slow. And it, 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 what it does is it just it gives you really better, much better rhythm throughout your golf game, your your entire swing and putting and everything.
0: because yeah, because Tiger Woods does that, doesn't he? He's very deliberate, isn't he? You know, you see him and. And he doesn't rush anything. He he has a purpose for walk, but it's uh, you know it's, it's at his own pace. He's not rushed by anything. And and I think sometimes that you know people that have played with him get out of sorts because they're like you know, not that he's a slow player, but because he just he nothing rushes him. He's, he's calm over his shots, and and that's why you know the mentality that he's got is why he's got to so many wins. And you talk about it there if you can get in that kind of zone, you know as you are, then it's only going to lead to good things for you.
1: Yep, exactly. I mean, if I tell kids that I help with their golf games here and there, I said if you watch the guys that are really good on tour, uh, like like a Tiger, I mean, you can almost put a stopwatch to his routine. It's always the same. You know, the one thing that you can control in the game of golf is is what's inside your bubble as far as your routine and how you think. If if you get um, too far outside of your bubble, that's where you have some issues. And you know, I got outside of my bubble through my years on the PGA Tour, but I I, I do feel like you know, I understand that when you're in the zone, you you, you everything's clicking, and you just, it just kind of happens. You know, and you can't, it's impossible to force it. But the better your routine is, the better chance you have of getting into that zone.
0: And possibly that week with the trophy may have been the second or third best thing that you received that week, alongside the uh, the prize money. You also got you know a very special letter from uh, from Arnold Palmer for your win and <laughs> uh, congratulating you on how you'd fought back after a couple, couple of years.
1: Yeah, that was really amazing. My, I was actually the following week I was out in Texas and my wife gets, she calls me. She's like, you won't believe what happened. She said, I got this letter and I almost threw it away because I just didn't recognize it. It looked like, you know, junk mail. Cause it said Palmer or something on it. <laughs> and so she opens it and sure enough, it's a, it's a written letter from Arnold Palmer congratulating me. Um, you know, saying, Hey, I heard this was your last event. Really amazing. And so We've got that letter framed. It's in a beautiful frame, and it's actually out of my country club, Thornblade, right now. But um, it's uh, it's it's of all the trophies I've ever won, that's by far my favorite, uh, you know, memory of golf. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll go forward a year now to, to Panama, and you win. Uh, you come second again. <laughs> um this, this is the the ninth second place finish now that we've had um and, and I, don't, I don't want to focus on it as a negative because i think you know you know in total there was 11 second place finishes but you win five times right now you there were a second place finishes there that you you know you couldn't have won someone's gone you know three or four shots ahead but you know you had a good you know eight nine ten times that you could have won you know 10 wing career I know that it's not on the PGA tour uh, where you maybe would have wanted it to be but how proud of you are you that you you know you got yourself in those positions that many times
1: well I you know if you looked at my greed see oh wow he's got a lot of like top top twos really but he also missed a ton of cuts and I I guess have been in a way it'd been nice to be more consistent but I love the fact that when I'm in the hunt, I feel like I'm a really tough competitor. Like if yeah. I'm in the mix coming down, coming down the wire, rarely did I fold and just give somebody a tournament. I, um, I prided myself on, on, on that. And, you know, that's something that not everybody has. Um, it's, it's challenging to, to get in that frame. It took me a few years, like you said early on that, um, cause I had a lot of near, near wins, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, just pretty wild. When I look back, I had 11, freaking seconds that's a lot of seconds
0: <laughs> but but that's the thing that that's what i wanted to focus on is that you are once you've once you sniff the chance of winning a trophy you're there you know you're you're putting the pressure on if you're in the chasing pack you're you're breathing down the guy's neck if you're in front you're keeping everyone at bay that's a that's a massive skill in itself okay there are people out here that that make the cut every week i know charles Howard III. you know he makes a you know a ton of money every single year and he's only had like, three career wins but he, you know, he mm-hmm. maybe would like. He'd probably want the reverse skill. He'd like to have your ability, you know, in the hunt. Whereas you'd probably like to be as consistent as he was on the PGA tour. So, you know, it's different. People are, are better at different things, and I think that to to focus on the negative would be really criminal when when you've done so well, at, you know, winning when you've had a chance.
1: Well, I I appreciate you highlighting that uh, <laughs> of my career. That, that that makes me feel a little better today. <laughs> so <laughs> good, good. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I know Jack Nichols had a ton of seconds as well. I mean, he could he could have won so many more majors, and you know, a career like his is absolutely amazing. That that a guy was that close every single week. So, um, you know, and, and Tiger's done the same. So, uh, I would never want to put myself in the, in their shoot in their ballpark even at all. But um, I am proud that I. I've had that many, you know, close close calls and you know, when you get later on in your career or, or, or in life, really all you ever remember is your wins anyway. So I I tried as hard as I could to win, but eleven times it didn't happen. So
0: <laughs> let's let's talk about another the fifth and final win was in the Bahamas. Now, this was
1: a <laughs> Sunday
0: to Wednesday tournament, wasn't it? It was a, a bit of a weird schedule, but you know, maybe suits you guys. You're on T V for the first time, uh, of of your wins. Um you open with a round of seventy six and that sounds uh, a dreadful for a winner um, but it was a really tough um, you know I think you're only four shots off the lead even with a 76 in the first round um, what do you remember of that week apart from I'm gonna say there was two uh, two shots your first two shots of the year went into the water I believe
1: <laughs> yeah pretty you've you have done some serious homework here Tom I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed yeah I, I I called my caddy he was flying in late I, I, I was texting him while I walked the course just by myself and no club just walked it and I texted him. I said, "This is the tightest golf course I've ever seen." And this was when the weather was absolutely mint, you know, in the practice round. All of a sudden, it was like, you know, somebody flipped a switch on that first round, Sunday round, morning round, um, the first round. And I'm off early on that first round. And my first two swings, I mean, I couldn't aim it far enough left. It went in the water. I go up. I hit a five wood. Goes in the water. I move back. I move up again. I've got. 78 yards, I believe, my third, my whatever shot that is, I hit a nine iron, a little punch nine iron, about 15 feet, make it for double, right? And so the next hole is a par three, and I've got it's 140 yard shot, and I sting this low six iron in there to three feet, make it. My caddy says, "All right, let's let's birdie out." <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> the wind is blowing 40 miles an hour. We should, we had no business being on the golf course. We, and so, um, the and, and that was number 11. I started on the back. So like 10 through 15 basically are all on this peninsula around the ocean, and every hole is so exposed. Well, the 12th hole, if you can imagine a hole that goes kind of down and left, and on the left is ocean, and on the right is out of bounds with houses. That hole had a – a par had a skin on that hole until 3 p.m. that afternoon before somebody else made a par. I mean the the scoring average was like 5.9 on that hole or something like that on a par four so um it was insane i at the turn i had my caddy get some more golf balls for me because i had already lost like three or four On the, you know i didn't pack enough in the bag i think your uh your fellow countryman greg eason lost 30 something 31 yeah, yeah, golf got, balls got in got a thir- two days 32
0: balls here and, and those those balls uh, <laughs> that you picked up are practice balls as well they weren't even they weren't even your regular balls right
1: yeah they weren't they <laughs> weren't well they, they were the same brand and yeah. same uh, everything, but yet they said practice on it. I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I can use it. Even if I can, I'll <laughs> take a penalty or whatever. You know, I don't know. I, I didn't want to run out of balls. And so, um, but yeah, I, I started the tournament off. I was, I want to say I was four or five over, and, you know, so the first five holes. But, you know, something I pride myself on is this. I, I grind and I, I love weather. I, I won all my tournaments in bad weather when I was a kid. Um, I just kept fighting. I think I shot 200 on the back, nine to shoot 76 that day. You know, I got interviewed after the round. Um, it was just wild. That day, I actually played with uh, the leader, Tom. Forgot who his last name was, but it was it was the best round of golf I'd ever seen. He got it up and down from everywhere. I think he, I think he shot one under the first day. If I'm not mistaken, and um, I mean, it was just insane. So, scoring average was like 84 or 82 or something. You know, obscene the first round of that tournament. And you know, the wind never stopped at night. You would hear sand just pegging the windows of the of the hotel or the the room I was staying in I mean it was just absolutely awful for all four days of that tournament um you had wind burn and and it was just terrible but I putted so so well that week um I I hit the ball pretty solid although I made seven I think I made seven double bogeys that week
0: yeah, so that, that's seven some... double bogeys down, which has got to be a record for a winner. Yeah,
1: um, that's got to be, that's got to be. I, I can't imagine anybody ever beating that one. But, so. but without without a three putt as well, that
0: you know that just highlights yeah. how difficult it was that week.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it, on on those holes that were exposed by the water, I normally put claw, but on those holes, I had to put my regular grip because I couldn't get the putter behind the ball without hitting it because I didn't have enough control. You know, holding the holding the putter with the claw. So, you know, on those four holes, I put it old school, you know, overlap. So, um, it was just, it was absolutely insane. And being the first term of the year, the first time we'd ever been to the Bahamas as a tour, I think, I think our tour had a lot of pressure just to play the event, even if it was going to be brutal. And it, it was just nonstop brutal. If, if they would have pulled us off the course, even once, there's no way we ever get back on the course. So, uh, thank God that the officials let us play and, um. You know, it was an experience that if you talk to anybody that ever, that was there that week, cl- player or caddy, I mean, they can remember it like it was, uh, like it, like it was, it was just in the near near memory. So it was. <laughs> it was really fun.
0: (laughs) And yeah, you know, you got, you got the high from that win. um, And then you have another couple of seconds as we, as we've alluded to already. Um, I think you had the Lincoln land charity championship where you, you had a final round 74, which for you when you're in contention was a, was a bit of an outlier and you ended up losing in a playoff to uh, Adam Schenk, But, this this talks about when you when you get a bit of confidence and when you're in you know your games where it needs to be. So I have a first, a fifth, and two more seconds uh, in that you know corn for a year to to then get yourself to the PGA Tour for what turned out to be one last go. How how confident were you going into the PGA Tour season in 2018?
1: So, so that year I played. That was probably my best year of my career. It was 2017, and uh, you know I should have won that event and and one you just the the one you just mentioned i i played yeah. awful that sunday and i got got way ahead of myself throughout the round like i i hadn't missed a shot first three rounds and i got overconfident instead of just being keeping my head down and plugging along but you know i did make a about an eight or nine footer to get into the playoff and then in the playoff i made a set a, a long putt just to stay alive for the second hole of the playoff but it wasn't meant to be because adam made a, about a 30 footer to win but um you know, I had so much confidence at one point of that year, and then late in the year, I don't know if it was because I got my eyes on the PGA Tour or what, but I just started struggling late in the year and kind of got into a funk, missed a bunch of cuts, ending that season on on the Corn Ferry Tour, and and never got out of it going into the PGA Tour. It's just uh, it's weird. Like throughout my career, I would capture these you know five six months of just feeling it and playing great, and then it would just it would just dissipate and leave me. And so. Um, it it, frust- it really frustrated me because i was ready to have a, a great career uh, or excuse me a great year on the pj tour and, and I'm, I'm finally back i feel good about my game and i go out there and just miss cut after cut after cut and after a while it just it really wore me down and and um, you know it really halfway through that season it got me thinking about all right, this might not work out, and if it doesn't, what's next? Because I, I can't just keep doing this every year, bouncing back and forth. So,
0: and that's the thing. And you'd spoken that you'd done it sort of three or four years prior to that. You'd already had those conversations with yourself, and then you finally basically say to yourself at the Wyndham Championship in 2018 that this is, you know, the last, you know, last roll of the dice. If you have to win that week to to even keep your card. Um, and if you didn't, you were ready to walk away and and start, you know, your life as as you're at Gallagher now. But just before you, you transitioned into to where you are now, you actually had an opportunity to go over to to Africa to visit some troops with the PGA Tour. Just talk a little bit about that experience before we go into to now what you're doing now.
1: Sure, yeah, I had this opportunity to go to visit to uh, Djibouti to visit to visit our um, our troops over there, and just kind of go with. I, I went with Sean McKeel. I went with. Um, Billy Hurley, who is a used to be on the with the Navy, and so it was a great, great trip. We went over, and it was a quick trip, two days, but I've had so much, uh, so much of my family has been in the military, and if it wasn't, honestly, if it wasn't for war, I wouldn't be here. My my grandfather was on, I believe it was Omaha Beach, and he was a medic, caught shrapnel in his leg when the uh, ordinance blew up and killed the guy in front of him. While he's in a hospital back in Maryland, he meets a beautiful nurse who ends up marrying them and uh, they had 11 kids in the span of 13 years and the second of those kids is my father so um, you know if it wasn't for war and him getting hurt they probably never meet and uh, who knows so um, it's uh, it's something I take a lot of pride in having military background with my family I wish in a way that I could have served but it wasn't in my cards but I, I have nothing but appreciation for everybody you know in our country that that fight for our freedoms it's it's pretty impressive
0: yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of, you know, you. this is, okay, you were at peace with this decision to step away from the game of golf, right? You know, you'd had that discussion with yourself. You'd made a decision at Wyndham that this was it. But, you know, whether you were happy with that decision or not and ready to do it, to, to then say to yourself, right, well, before I do that, I'm going to go on one of these trips that, that's clearly going to open my eyes and change my life. That's got to be something, you know, that speaks of your, of your mental strength and your capacity to, to look at what others are doing and what others don't have. Uh, before just thinking about your own feelings
1: yeah yeah you know i just wanted to experience what it would be like to to, you know to be one of these guys on a base and go you know uh just give them some golf tips we went over and gave them some golf lessons and i i had a pair of uh camouflage shoes that i had made up um that i took with me over there that said um like i think it said america on the side or something like that you know that FootJoy gave me uh gave those to to uh we, we had like a A rally or an um excuse me a rally we had a um auction for these things and i give them to a troop uh one of the troop members and so you know it was just it was really fun just meeting these guys and and telling hearing their stories and you know just just being bringing some normalcy to them really because a lot of them you know they don't see any of their family forever and actually stayed up one night till probably three in the morning talking to this um, he couldn't tell me which division he was in, but I, I know for a fact it was, it was SEAL team uh, six. and so um, so it was just it was really unique just talking to these guys and hearing a little bit about their story and how they got to where they are. And uh, like I said, these guys are, are real warriors and they're the real heroes of our country.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I just think it's so important to really, you know, I think PJ Tour do a great job at sort of giving back and, and recognising these sort of things. And that must have been a life changing trip. But the, the, now you go into you're working for, for Gallagher, where you are now as a as a commercial insurance advisor and an account executive. Um, you know, that's a well, let's call it a real job, shall we? That, you know, you get to play <laughs> gold for a living. I, I consider it a real profession, but a lot of you will say that you know you have fun out there, and and now there's a real job. Do you ever sit at a desk now and sit there and think I could really just go back to the tour life, or have you got absolutely no aspirations no. to do that?
1: No, 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 absolute, absolutely zero aspirations. I I did it, I loved it, but yet it was also you know now that I've stepped away from the game, I realize how stressful the game of golf was. I mean, so so stressful when every week you have to Basically, play well or you don't get paid. And so now that I've got some uh, some normalcy in my life, I feel like a, a normal human being for the first time ever. You know, I'm not traveling like I used to, obviously not because of COVID. But I um I just I love the team that I work with. We have a really really strong team. I interviewed with four different companies before I selected Gallagher. I had an opportunity to sell steel. Um, with a, a, a large factory out of Ohio, they were going to let me basically go out of my car here and, and out of Greenville and just sell it. But it just didn't fit what I wanted. And I wanted to have a bit of an office life. I wanted to have a team to lean on. And, um, and the resources that, you know, that Gallagher put behind me are just phenomenal. And so it's, it's allowed me to open a lot of doors, because Gallagher's reputation is, is, maybe the best reputation in all of large commercial insurance brokers. So it's been, um, it's been a really, really fun run so far. And, um, actually picked up six months into my career. I picked up a client, um, one of the world's largest food and, um, health product manufacturers. And it was one of the largest accounts ever written out of our office. So that was really fun to do. And I spent a lot of time actually talking with, uh, a lot of your fellow, um, Countrymen um, because we place a lot of insurance out of the UK and um, they they actually have I want to say seven or eight manufacturing sites in the UK this this company so um, it's been a real eye-opening experience to to help this company manage their risk and it's been uh, it's been awesome so um, yeah Gallagher is a heck of a company.
0: Because I think that, you know, if, if if I put this interview out when we do, and, and people will listen to that and think, you know, okay, he's he's trying to convince himself that missing golf is, is absolutely fine, he's happy where he is, but there must be a sense of pride in what you're doing now, you just said that you wrote one of the largest orders in, in the office ever, you know, that, comparing that to a, a golf tournament win, you know, they're not comparable, are they, but it's still a sense of pride in what you're doing. And you know that you're providing for your family. You get to see your family every every evening, every you know week. You know, Okay, you might go traveling for work and things like that. But week to week, you're not worrying about whether you... It's never been a case of whether you can put food on the table because you, know, you have backup money and you'd had enough wins to sort of balance yourself. But knowing that you've got a regular income and just taking that stress away, it also probably gives you a chance to actually enjoy golf on a, on a friendly basis. And when you get to go out, you just enjoy it.
1: I do, I do, and now when I play golf, a lot of times it's uh, it's prospect or client golf. I'm actually going to Tulsa, Oklahoma next week to to play with that client I mentioned. We're playing out at uh, Southern Hills. Um, Bo Van Pelt set me up to play, but you know, when the, at, at the end of the day, I'm a guy that just loves to compete, whether it's you know racquetball or, or basketball or playing chess with my my kids or whatever it is. I just love competing, and there's really no difference when I'm when I'm in you know with with insurance. I'm competing to try to, you know, to literally get that company to fire their broker and hire me. And that's a that's that's really what you're doing. You're trying to replace that other guy. And the only way you could do that is by uh, being a, a fierce competitor and bringing resources to the table that they're not cr- currently getting. And, you know, and being able to, you know, to to challenge them on, on the status quo. So, um, you know, personally, I'm a guy that I love to learn. I love to read and I like to, to challenge myself. So. If um, I felt like my my life in general was getting a little stagnant through golf, I, I I actually had no problem at all making a transition and trying to just try to be a you know be a better person and and a more round well-rounded person, somebody that can uh you know that can kind of prove that they can be successful in golf as well as business. And so and it's it's been really fun. I I, I really really enjoy what I'm doing.
0: That's the thing as well is that you've got the capacity there and in, in in the thought process to think of life beyond golf. You had the you had the thought in 2015, 2014 where you you, you knew that. You know, it might go that way. And then you get another couple of wins and you think, okay, well, let's carry on. But you always knew there was there was something else to it. And, you know, sometimes you look at the golfers on tour and you think, what would they do if they didn't play golf? And and to be able to actually just say, right, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm ready to go into this business. Is that something that you picked up from being at college? Because I know a lot of people go through college and they're just there to get the golf scholarship and then get out. But did you really take the education part and really run with it?
1: Uh, you know, I did take education serious because I, my parents would kill me if I had bad grades. But um, I think I was an academic All-American, which doesn't say a whole lot. You just have to play in most of the events and have like a three, three GPA. So, you know, I, I I did just enough in school to to make good grades, but I didn't do more than I needed to. So at that time it was golf and it was being a pro. That's what mattered. But you know, as I played all these pro-ams and I meet these different, um, you know, people, millionaires, sometimes billionaires, and you, you see what they've done, you know, with their own careers. And I learned quickly that there is literally a million ways to, to make money in this world, in this life. And so, um, I knew that if golf didn't work out, something else would. And, you know, when I finished my career, I spent time interviewing with everybody, you know, not really interviewing, but just talking to everybody about different industries and, and, and you know, I had all kinds of options that I could have done, but everything kept bringing me back to insurance only because, you know, I love the model. I love that it's, you know, you build a book and your book repeats, you you know, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's almost a recession proof, um, commodity that everybody needs, you know, you have to have insurance. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we have a guy in our office named Charles Warren who played the PGA tour for, I don't know how many years, probably eight years and total of maybe 12, 13 on a uh, total. And he, you know, he is absolutely doing great right now with Gallagher. And so they kind of had a blueprint for how to use us, uh, us washed up golfers, you know? <laughs> so, um, cause you know, honestly, we've met a lot of decision makers through all of our pro-ams and our travels that because of, of our company size and our resources, we're able to reach out to any of those people we've ever met before and, and provide, you know, quality solutions to them. And so um that's that's something that really attracted me to the company as well
0: yeah i think you know it's really important you say there that you know there's there's a million ways to get things done Uh, joel damon's recently just done an interview on no laying up and he said they sort of said to him do you love golf and he said well i love playing golf with my buddies and and you know when i can have a drink and not take it seriously he said but the actual pga tour life is it's not as glamorous as it seems and if he could make money the same money he makes playing golf he would actually absolutely go off and do that but you know i think sometimes golfers do feel trapped and and you're uh, an example that you can go off and do something and be just as happy and content and i know it's different for as a family man compared to maybe a single man or a young player out there you know they're not going to have that kind of foresight but to to see that there is a life beyond golf and then you know but also be able to recount all of the memories you've had in golf and and not realize that it wasn't a waste of time you you, you know you've really enjoyed it you're really grateful for what you've had um but to really you know put that behind you and say right this is my new career now and to look after my family and i just think it's amazing i think to transition that quickly to that um is really a really testament to yourself so um it was really good to hear all of that stuff it was really good to hear a lot about your career i think that you know hopefully when people listen to this they realize you know yes you had five wins on the cornferry tour it could have been it could have been 10 it could have been 12 it could have been <laughs> anything but um just to really get an insight into okay why did the PGA tour not work out you know it doesn't happen for everybody i think i think now the gap's mm-hmm. kind of uh getting closer i think that if you if you're successful on the on the corn ferry you know you can hit the ground running on the pga but that wasn't always the case there was maybe a bit of a larger divide back in the day so i think it was great to hear from you and, and thank you very much for coming on
1: thank you tom that was a really impressive job you did um really doing all your research you asked questions that nobody else has ever asked me and uh, really more than anything you gave me a nice trip down memory lane so i appreciate it all and um best of luck to you and your podcast and um please stay safe during this this crazy pandemic run
0: yeah thank you very much. rest up that wrist and uh hopefully we can see you out <laughs> on the course as well and uh, you know what whilst you're doing insurance it'd be great to see you go and go and have a win somewhere else on a surprise visit and you know who knows what for the future brings to the champions tour as well so thank you very much carl
1: thanks tom have a great day